Welcome to the Deconstructing Data podcast and broadcast. I'm Jesse Lezak, fractional CMO at BDEX, along with BDEX's founder and CEO, David Finkelstein. Good to see you, David. Tell hey, me something. <laughs> Hi. I was going to ask you a new question today. You kind of switched okay. things around on me last week and asked me. Um, so tell me something I don't already know about BDEX. Uh, that you don't know about BDEX. That's interesting. Um, <laughs> that really put me on the spot there. Um, okay. Um, let's see. The Yes, one of the things I can share that you might not know about BDEX would be uh, how the company was originally founded. And so, you know, Michael and I originally had an internet advertising business and, uh, uh, you know, what, what really started it all was we started looking at all the data we were collecting um, and realized there was a, a lot of value to that and started talking to other data companies and trying to get an understanding of how data was used um, by them. And so that was kind of how BDX was born. And it was just an idea that, uh, started from another, you know, while we were working with the other company. So I don't know, that's something that probably, ever, you know, not, not everybody knows. So I thought that'd be a good place to start. Well, I'm sorry to tell you, I do already know that story. Uh, I don't know if you remember about two years ago when we first started this, I interviewed both of you about the founder story. Oh of yeah, we did the founder story. It's actually <laughs> one of my favorite stories. So I'm glad that you brought it up, but I guess I'm going right. to have to um, right. leave I'll, that with you so you can think of something. No, I got one. All right. Okay. Well, I'll take a quick second to do another one. All right. So when we started the business, we got everybody together that was part of the team and we did like our first sort of all hands meeting and sort of mapped out the plan for BDEX. And on that same day that we we basically spent the day uh, mapping, you know, do, working on that and doing all sort of the, the original business plan for BDEX, um, I, we took everybody out on an airboat ride and saw some alligators and stuff in the Everglades. So there you go. Oh, I'll awesome. That. I love that. <laughs> I, that's a great story. It ties it all back to BDEX being founded in Florida where you can do all those things. Yep. That's so cool. Go. Well, thank you for sharing that, David. And, you know, I think it's always so important to like tie the real life story back to people. I mean, people connect with stories. And so we get to hear another story today um, on deconstructing data. We're thrilled to welcome Atul Patel. He's the CEO and co founder of Orbi. I'm going to go ahead and bring him in. Welcome, Atul. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And, and just, uh, I guess I got to be on my toes here. It looks like Jesse can throw <laughs> yeah. in a couple of curveballs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you never know where it's going Atul, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, you know, our companies know each other well, um, but uh, for those out there that uh, aren't familiar with you and your company, why don't you kick us off with an introduction, tell uh, our listeners and viewers a little bit about yourself uh, and what led you to build Orbi? Great. Well, yeah. So first of all, thanks for having me. And I love telling this story and especially with our partners and integration uh, friends. So, you know, my background, just like yours, uh, was in ad tech and MarTech outside of automotive. And I think, you know, what, what had happened is I came across my co-founder uh, about eight years ago and learned about the automotive industry. And, you know, it, it takes time to get into it and understand how big it is, how, um, uh, how, how much foundational history there is to the automotive 
uh, industry. And, and I use this example, like when you start thinking about a topic, all of a sudden you start seeing more of it when you're driving, right? If you talk about Dunkin' Donuts, all of a sudden you're like, what? there's a lot of Dunkin' Donuts here. <laughs> and so after I got into this space, I started looking around every highway I drove, every street I drove. I'm like, wow, there are a lot of dealerships. And so it's been a very exciting time to learn this industry, work with a lot of our dealership uh, customers. And really where it started uh, is we got into actually a different use case. We were in the sort of media generation, creative generation, photos of used cars. And just over the course of, say, these eight years, and, and I think that evolution continues, we just keep evolving what we're providing our customers. And whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, you know, we, we like to adapt very quickly. In fact, sometimes it's a struggle to figure out what we actually provide um, to our dealerships. But I say we provide solutions because just like um, David, you were talking about previously, coming from outside of auto, you almost sort of have seen so many pieces. You were involved in contextualization. Can you imagine how that's going to all come back? For this, for the, for any industry, so I've been able to take all of the history across uh, an early social media advertising platform, a DSP that's now owned by a large tele, uh, television manufacturer, uh, Lead ID, Jernaya that became a big data company in the lead gen space, and so forth. And I'm able to stitch all that, and so Orbi and automotive is like almost like a playground uh, for all of this amazing tech and innovation. Um, around customer experience. And that's kind of where we're at now. And finally, what, what we've been able to sort of, what I've been able to do and what I'm excited about is bridge the automotive industry to companies like BDEX who not only serve the automotive vertical, but dozens of other really profound verticals where innovation is even faster in ad tech and martech. So it's really cool to be able to bridge that gap between other industries in this one. Yeah, I love that. And I love that, love the sort of evolution of the business because, you know, like you said, the in this space, innovation happens so fast that you're constantly having to continue, you know, changing and evolve, evolving, right? I mean, you can't yeah. just provide one service and expect eight years later, you're still going to be providing the same service. Like you're going to have all these new ancillary services that, that are going to have to, you know, evolve from that just because how fast the industry moves. Yes, especially in marketing. And so um, I guess with that, we'll pull up our first topic, a tool and get a little more specifically into it. And, you know, really feel free to take this anywhere. But can you kick us off on what role does middleware play in the automotive industry? Okay, I could do that. So first and foremost, how did we even come up with this conversation around middleware? Well, a couple of key points, right? In, in what we do, it took us some time to really understand where we sit, where we fit into the, the puzzle of this industry. And not just in MarTech. I actually split up MarTech now as marketing and marketing tech and tech tech, you know, because you see a convergence of how, especially when you're in one vertical, how MarTech is intertwined with so many different things. Um, so when we were sitting back and looking, in fact, outside of automotive, when you think about, uh, David, you, you obviously know BitSwitch and others, I started to look at 
okay, so what are we really? We've been saying, we've been talking integration. We've been talking to how we help dealers tie all these CX related touch points together. And it, it took a few kind of working sessions to say, I think we're middleware. And when you sit back and look at middleware's history, you know, IBM and some of these, uh, Tibco, these are companies that, especially in the automotive vertical, you don't really think about IBM, but IBM was one of those first companies probably 20 years ago that talked about connecting all these systems, uh, whether it's systems built by uh, the company or, or integrations with third parties or enabling um, uh, their, their clients to do more with other disparate systems. And that's kind of what we ended up positioning ourselves with. And it's starting to really resonate with our customers, with the industry that connecting the dots is a big role in itself. So let's talk about that. Like if I took every company that's involved in customer experience in automotive, I mean, everything from websites to scheduling for service, to chatting with someone to the voiceover IP system, the CRM, the ERP systems in the back, we call them DMSs. Um, when you look at all of those systems, they can't all integrate with everyone. That's actually been the trouble is integrations have been fairly minimal in our industry, but yet the data is fragmented. So someone's got to tie it all together. And so when you think about, you know, just a simple equation, if every one of these systems had to integrate with each other, it's almost like um, the number of them to the power of the uh, N, you know, it's like, can five companies integrate with five? That's 25 integrations if they had to all do it themselves. And so we see ourselves as sort of a system that makes it easy for five companies to work with other five because Orbi becomes the middleware that connects them. Now, in providing middleware, you also have to have some core capabilities that you provide because you can't just say, I'm just gonna deliver mail from one home address to another. No, you have to have a central warehouse, you have to do auditing, you have to provide tracking, you have to provide governance and all those things. So that's kind of where we sit and, and you know, it's it's not easy to go to a dealership who has five stores, their heads down, the general manager's heads down trying to operate his business. And we come in talking about middleware and tech and how we're going to connect the dots. So a lot of the times the middleware piece kind of um, kind of falls back into the background and it's just there. And that's kind of what we want to be. We just want to be there in this industry and empower all of our partners to do what they do well. And in fact, is why we work with BDEX because you guys do such powerful capabilities around identity resolution and so forth. Now that needs to find more clients. Dealerships need to use this kind of capability more that the large media companies use. And so that's kind of our position and that's where we sit. And it's, it's not exactly glorious because you know, again, we're just floating in the middle rather than owning any one major component of the customer experience. Yeah, I, and I think to your point, that's getting more and more important, right? I mean, because there are so many different marketing tools out there um, in any industry, but, you know, automotive, especially, I'd, I'd say. I've heard people use uh, the term vendor fatigue um, because there's just so many different vendors for them to manage that if they can 
you know, use something like Orbi to, to sort of manage that integration of all of those tools, it makes their life easier, right? Absolutely. And I'd say middleware, uh, you know, you could also ask the middle of what? And it's sort of like the middle between, I mean, there's so many use cases of this. We work with large dealer groups that might have 40, 60 locations. Well, we could be middleware between those locations, right? If you have a two brands that are owned by the same dealership uh, company, right? Take uh, Holman or Flow, and they have two sister companies, different brands. You know, one's a Toyota, one's a Nissan. Someone's got to help orchestrate between that because sometimes you're buying a car, not thinking about the brand of car, but rather who you're getting it from, right? And, and increasingly dealer groups are saying you're buying a Holman car, not a Nissan or a Toyota. So it could be the middle of that. It could be the middle of dealerships and their existing systems they already have, their DMSs, their CRMs, their call trackers, their website vendors, and so forth. And then it could also be the middle of dealerships going outside of automotive or outside of automotive only capabilities, like BDEX as an example. And so someone needs to kind of streamline that because you know, it's not easy to enter the space. So it's it's almost like a problem for both sides to work together. So it's the middle of that. And finally, there's a lot of cloud capabilities, a lot of things that, let's be honest, dealerships over time will want to own themselves. If you think about a lot of the big box retailers and grocery and, and typical retail, they all, right, David, over the last 10 years, more of them have brought their capability in-house you know, they're still using vendors and tools, right? Whether Walmart's using Trade Desk underneath their their in a sort of Walmart ads product. At some point, someone needs to connect the dealerships to these very commoditized tech things that aren't easy. They're not made for our vertical. And so we're we like to say we're the middle of lots of different use cases. And it, it what keeps us uh, kind of on our toes and having fun. Yeah, and to your point, I think that there's there's been talk over the years for dealerships to be able to start leveraging their data more. Um, you know, I think there were some situations where the the DMS was taking over, you know, control of that data, and now they're starting to realize there's a lot of value in that data, and they're trying to find ways that they can leverage their own data. Yeah, and and David, the control it's interesting because you know when we talk about customer experience and stuff. It's, it's control in different forms, right? Sometimes it, it could perceive, be perceived as control where I'm not going to let you have your own data. Other times it's just control because technically it's hard. I mean, if you think about the age of some of these systems, how can you really make it a one-click download? You know, it's, it's, it, it's data that's even within one DMS system. It could be in lots of subsystems. And so a lot of that work that we actually support is making that easier because um, let's face it, you know, it's one thing to say it's my, you know, as a consumer, we like to talk about data ownership too. Like, hey, does Netflix own my data or do I own the data? But basically when it comes to dealerships, um, you know, a lot of times these bigger legacy systems have never been asked to make this data available in new way in these new ways, right? So when we think about even what we're doing with you, how do you even ask your web vendor for certain key data from the sessions of these web activities 
to even do the integration with BDEX, right? Like that hasn't even been asked for. And that's actually where um, I'd say, uh, you know, data has been sitting there. And when you actually talk to everyone in our ecosystem, it's the first time they've even been asked a certain question. That's the fun part is like, I'll be like, hey, so what do you guys do with uh, IP addresses and helping the dealerships? You know, I know Google Analytics doesn't show that data, but IPs are still core to why Walmart just bought Vizio, right, et cetera. So can you get that data? And they're like, oh, well, we've never been asked that. Uh, mm -hmm. And so it's it's very interesting that a lot of the time the word control is almost the the lack of attention to certain importance and uh, the importance of some of this data. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Just, they don't I, know what they don't know. They don't know what they don't know, and and so and then we like to judge it as, hey, they're holding back. But I actually think it's a an awareness problem, a technical problem. It's it's more of those things than it is a some sort of pre-planned math, you know, some master plan, you know. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. And actually, I think that you know, that sort of leads us into our next topic pretty mm -hmm. well uh, as far as the role that data plays in improving customer experience. That's all, um, you know, tell us uh, tell us what you think about this and, and where you see it going. Yeah. So coming back, I mean, that's a, it, it, you're right. It's absolutely a great bridge into this conversation because data is everywhere in these systems. Um, a lot of times the experience is disjointed and this isn't just an automotive problem. Let's be honest. When you call um, retailers or when you log into something, maybe it doesn't know that you were uh, about to return something. Right. And, and, so a lot of times because of these systems, uh, because these systems all have a piece of the journey, they also therefore have a piece of the data set. And if there's not a way to interconnect all this data and centrally house it, even enrich it like what we're doing with BDEX, you know, uh, provide hygiene and so forth, then all of a sudden you can't really give a great customer experience. You know, if if you walk into a dealership, it, you know, automotive industry, much like, let's say, mortgage or insurance, it's a long buying cycle, right? Or buying a home, especially. These are long buying cycles. So the data is especially disjointed because you're going in, you're buying a car, and then two years goes by. And maybe you haven't serviced with that dealership. Maybe you chose to go to one of these fast oil change places. And so the relationship has sort of aged, but then you come back because your son or daughter is graduating college and you want to buy a car. Well, now you're in the CRM system, but you were in the DMS system. And then you had some, uh, you know, some, some orders like service orders that you perform some service, maybe in the beginning of the relationship and not anymore. So data is everywhere. And so what, what the role of data plays, the, the way that data plays uh, a role in customer experience is you have to stitch it all together based on an, an, a household or a person. And then you can actually do really amazing things. You could do things like modeling, you know, cohorts, segmentation. You could do things like machine learning and even AI. Because take, for instance, even just because the topic of AI is so relevant. Um, if I only knew 
half of, or even 10% of your background. Could I really write a bio for you? No, it'd be a really horrible bio or not comprehensive enough. And that's kind of what happens. Um, even when I see AI being overlaid onto today's systems, it's sort of like it's got a 10th of the information. And so again, the importance of data is without it, you can't actually truly know where this customer falls. And if we just take simply web activity, which is kind of important in our relationship and our integration, web activity tied to the history of your record in the backend DMS system, can you imagine how much web activity is happening that is linked to someone in their system and they have no idea it's them? And so they're not even able to tailor the web experience. And look, there's a lot of cases in retail and so forth where logging in is imperative. You can't watch Netflix without logging in. You can't buy something from Amazon without logging in. You're doing that with Best Buy with any retailer or even publishers increasingly, you have a subscription with them. But in auto dealerships, you don't really log in. So it, it's important for dealerships to use tools like BDEX, for instance, to then interconnect this rich data they have. So you have a lot of pools of first party data that aren't interconnected. And that's actually where you, uh, you know, again, going back to the question, what role does data play? I think data plays a very critical role. It's the middleware that will make it play that role better, if you will. Yeah, and ultimately probably is necessary today because like you said, there are so many of these third-party tools that, and dealers are often using you know, a, a lot of them and the data is all disjointed. It's not all connected and without connecting it all, you can't sort of have that, that streamlined process and, and really understand what's going on you know, uh, throughout that buying process. Uh, it'll be interesting, uh, I'd love to get your take. Uh, where do you see AI improving this process going forward. I mean, there, there's, you know, it's getting more and more difficult to track data at a personal level, right? Um, and so more and more industries are looking at AI to help improve um, different, you know, processes, but but definitely the consumer experience is, is definitely one of them. Uh, where do you see that going in, in automotive? Yeah, so, so it's an interesting question. Um, obviously, going back to my last point of until you have all the data, uh, it's possible you have you aren't able to truly feed into the AI models everything it needs to provide the right relevant um, content, message, decision, et cetera. But here's what I um, would say is what, and in fact, is what we're doing at Orbi, um, is first AI became this tool for us, right? Whether it's emailing, sales, customer success, uh, internal stuff, even even our expense policy for the recent conference, right? Half generated through generative AI. Um, so generative AI has been kind of useful internally. Um, <clears throat> now, in our industry, we see a lot of generative AI use cases um, being talked about, right? Improved chat, improved email content, uh, and so forth. But where we've taken our internal approach to the next level is we're starting to see how AI could support discovering patterns in the data, right? Hey, you know, it's it, it's a different kind of AI. It has to understand databases, schemas, how tables are linked together. And that's kind of where we're going next 
as a company. So I'd say before we actually provide AI to our customers or bake it into our middleware pipes, we're sort of trying to use it internally on how we serve our customers and how they do things in the back end. Generative AI is, of course, stuff that the ecosystem is doing. And I think that's fantastic that people are looking at, you know, email bot content, chat content, and so forth. But I think that's going to be sort of our final step is the, the actual AI used with the actual car buyer is going to be, I think, the last step we take. Um, but the, the first important step is the data and how can we use AI to sit inside of our SQL tables and, and our APIs and actually start generating code or looking for how tables are interconnected. I mean, can you imagine our integration um, being fed into a model that then uncovers new patterns that could be used for segmentation, for improved ad buying and so forth. So I think AI is going to be, for us at least, a behind the scenes capability over the next 12 months. And then come 2025, we'll start bringing it out into the forefront where it actually impacts the true customer experience with, uh, with the car buyers. Uh, but at that point, data would be flowing better because we're kind of you know, in 2024, we think it's the year of integration. And so when all that data is finally there, then, you know, come 2025, we'll see a, a, an improved uh, roadmap around how that, you know, data is leveraged for real communication and decisioning with the customer itself. I'm totally with you there. I, I think that, you know, there's so many people that think, oh, you know, AI is so cool because it can generate content for me or create images or whatever. But to me, what's really interesting is is um, building AI that can do really cool stuff with data, whether it's improving mm -hmm. the customer experience or, you know, what we've worked a lot with is uh, improving ad targeting um, using, you know, AI that analyzes data. And so a lot of people don't think that's cool because it's just you can't see it. You know what I you mean? You can't see it. Yeah. It's, it's like, like, hey, yeah. if I was a Shopify store and I use tools like AI to say, tell me what what are the correlations to what people put in their cart to when they end up buying that's not that that's not cool because you wouldn't mm -hmm. see it but it has some very core imperative use cases that that could change a lot yeah so generative ai definitely you're right like it's where it's you could see it and so that's where we all gravitate to as as people right because you could actually see it touch it understand it but um it's not exactly what what this industry needs now. Yeah, I agree. And actually, that kind of brings us into our next topic. We're, we're already talking about it a little bit um, in the how can data help automate things like creative generation or audience segmentation. Um, you have any anything else maybe to, to share on that? Yeah, yeah. So so part of being a middleware capability means that we could introduce a lot of new use cases um, to to kind of um, introduce, kind of create new uh, ideas. We like to say we're the middleware of possibilities. And so when you think about creative automation, let's just talk simple, I need to auto-generate JPEG files or you know, dynamic creative optimization outside of automotive is, has been there for a while, which is banner ads that are highly relevant, that are customized to a segment. Um, this is where we think we're going to shine for 
our, 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 our industry, which is when you connect everything, you could automate things. In fact, we use a payroll system uh, called Rippling, and I will give them a shout out here because I think what they've done in making HR easy is by connecting everything. Uh, by making it easy for me to do a background check on someone and then move to an interview process and then do the ordering of their laptop and then sign them up for the expense reports if they're in sales and then so on and so on. And we think that that's actually what's going to happen with all the, the sort of pipes that we're laying out. And so take creative automation. Because Orbi has kind of created this interconnectedness of the industry, we now know that there's new data that needs to be targeted, but that that audience is a particular segment. So let's take someone who's now navigating on the website, looked at a very specific car, and the data is showing us that they really are interested in an SUV. Uh, but maybe they were a minivan person. You know, our family had it has young children, so it's a minivan maybe as they kind of don't have trouble getting into the car, right? Quickly, we're moving to SUV, a bigger SUV. Well, imagine if that becomes an automated segment based on all the data we're seeing, the phone calls being made, what the transcripts are, the web activity, the DMS data, the history. And now imagine being able to create a creative that speaks not just the images or the background, but the text in the JPEG file. I say JPEG as in the image because on Facebook, you don't just get to dynamically change text in the image. You got to put a, a fixed JPEG or PNG file. Imagine it said looking for an upgrade in, you know, or, or whatever the word is. I'm not the best content creator here, but can you imagine auto-generating thousands of JPEG files that are micro-segmented, that then are pushed into media channels in these, you know, obviously you have to reach a certain uh, amount of people in these audiences, but can you imagine a thousand creatives that are targeted to different segments fully automatically through the plumbing? And that's actually where the middleware shines is every one of these amazing capabilities, creative automation with our partners, um, you know, data science with our partners and with you guys, like identity resolution with our partners. When you tie it all together, you can automate everything. And let's use one example. You, you talked about creative generation, audience segmentation. Let's throw out channel preference or how to communicate with people across multiple channels. Can you imagine having the, 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 the type of integration we're doing to say, wait, okay, I shouldn't just put them into a bucket of a thousand people or more in social advertising. I should actually speak to them directly because they did an oil change with me a, a year ago. They just weren't identifiable on the website, but now I have this capability with the Orbi Bdex integration. Now I'm going to choose to email them instead of running ads against them. So I won't even put them into the ad segment because it's a waste. I already have a one-to-one -one relationship with them. So instead of a broad category like SUV car buyer or window shopper or price range 35 to 45K, I can actually be like, hey, a tool, it looks like it's time for an upgrade. I see that you bought an S a minivan with us three years ago and you're starting to look at SUVs. We'd love to be here to help you. That kind of automation can only happen if we stitch all of the data and the workflow 
and the APIs and the activations of all these vendors. So again, we love working with the ecosystem to do all this. And um, the automation is endless when you actually connect all these companies together through middleware. I love that example. And mm -hmm. I'm going to take it one step further. Um, we're on a, a part of a trade organization called Go Addressable. Um, we're on the data council, Go Addressable. And Go Addressable is a new trade organization um, uh, around addressable TV. Mm -hmm. And so the idea being that the technology is there and it's growing um, to be able to target advertising at the household level um, on linear TV and you know, even integrate that with, with CTV advertising. That, that's sort of the, go the goal of Go Addressable is to make uh, TV advertising as addressable as programmatic advertising has been. And... So, you know, in theory, you'd be able to do exactly what you're talking about with, with a live, you know, commercial, um, but, you know, target it to specific households based on that data. And, and, and I think that, you know, we're still a while, a while till we get there. Um, but, you know, that's what the, the future of advertising looks like, even on linear TV as well. Yeah, I think uh, it's interesting if you think about the history of Canoe and, and you know, dynamic ads inside of the television set. Um, you know, all of this is going to become. It's going to be better for the consumers, right? Because if you think about um, Netflix and Amazon TV, um, a Prime Prime Video, all of these guys are starting to say that the advertising um, revenue stream for them is sometimes bigger or growing compared to subscription. Well, it mm -hmm. could be a win-win because now it's cheaper to watch, you know, uh, your favorite shows. And, you know, of course, uh, CTV and, and over-the-top television has kind of become cable again, uh, but that's a different topic. But mm -hmm. all of a sudden, consumers can see less media, highly precise, because it's tied to your actual buying behaviors and what you're interested in. And that's a good, that's obviously the, the positive spin, of course, privacy and, 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 and consumer choice is going to be a big part of it too. And that's also where middleware plays in, right? Because if you actually connect all these things, you could actually empower a consumer to tell you more of what they want to actually hear about and learn about. Mm -hmm. And, and that's going to improve customer experience as well. So yeah, really excited about where CTV goes. And we're doing a lot with, um, with uh, our integrations around that, around IDs, you know, um, the persistent IDs over at uh, large cable companies and, and whatnot. So that's going to play into our BDEX relationship as well. Oh, that's awesome. Both of you are making me very excited just about the, you know, role of data and especially what you were saying earlier, a tool in terms of like, this is the year of the integration. And so then, you know, the following year will be the year of data, it sounds like, you know, because we'll have these integrations in play, you're going to need data to feed the integrations, but also AI. Um, so I don't know, it's just a, a very inspiring topic. And, and of course, of course, you know, it's going to like change. It's going to improve the way it's going to improve our experience. It can improve customer experience. Um, you know, it just sounds like that what you were explaining earlier with the um, the email or the ad where it could be so highly relevant and targeted. 
it almost sounded like the words a salesperson would use to call you with, like a car salesman. Mm -hmm. um, so now you can take that at scale with the power of data and integration. And it's just um, very, very inspiring. But before, I mean, I kind of took us all over there. Is there anything on this last topic that either of you would want to dig into a little more before we transition in terms of how can data help automate things like creative generation or audience segmentation? Uh, well, I, I mean, I, I'm sure. So, so when you think about audience segmentation, I'll use a very simple example. Right now, uh, a lot of advertising and media and automotive is very big buckets. You know, hey, used car buyers, new car buyers, mm. service uh, 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 potential candidates. And that's all you see. You see like three ads running, right? But David, you're, you're involved in a lot of non-auto use cases. You know, typically in a DSP, you're running lots of line items lots of permutations, lots of bidding strategies, lots of creative. And so we see the evolution of automation making it easy from going to from a human that generates five ad campaigns or ad line items to hundreds. Um, and, and that's where the segmentation can, can be profound because, you know, Jesse, the problem is if you automate everything and then you don't empower the rest of the workflow with similar automation, you're just going to end up hitting a wall and you're going to say, I made all these audiences and we're just running three campaigns. And so that's where that, uh, that creative generation, audience segmentation, um, you know, even the, the automating the messaging and the bidding optimization, who should you spend more money on because they're lower in the funnel. That's where the BDEX integration will play a big role in. So that's, I think, um, Automation needs to start somewhere, but it must kind of infil uh, not infiltrate, to disseminate into the rest of the workflow. That's so yeah, and you, you need automation there because who could manage, you know, that volume of campaigns, right? You just, you're going <clears> to <throat> overwhelm yourself. You can't manage all of that yourself. And so in order to actually do it effectively and, and have it work, you, you need some level of automation there. And that's why our integration won't be downloading stuff, uploading stuff. It'll be all tied in. <laughs> seamless. I love that. You got to love a, a good API and get away from that export button. Mm -hmm. uh, but speaking of export, exporting and tech, um, what are some of your favorite tools in your tech stack? that you're using right now? This is something we ask all of our, our guests, a tool. Um, yeah, you know, uh, I don't have as uh, a, a, an amazing set of tools. I actually, it's interesting, it, it follows the theme of, of integration. I love an integrated product. And what I mean by that is, you know, we actually as a company did not go to Slack and we waited for Google Chat to evolve. Uh, and I trust me, I've had a little, couple of little arguments, fun arguments with my co-founders and stuff. It's like, we should be using Slack. It's better integrated. I'm like, no, but we use Gmail. So that's <laughs> the core that we need to ensure. So it's interesting. So what I, I have an Android phone and I have an iPhone. Um, I moved to iPhone as my primary device about uh, a year ago. Um, and I, I'm actually on a Windows device. So I actually pride myself in being able to 
um, use an Android device and an iPhone and a Windows device. And it's fun because I, I see a lot of interesting integrations between all of them. Um, and uh, my kids too. My kids have gone from using Amazon Kindles when they were really young to Samsung tablets when I, I would want to afford tablets for them. And finally moved to Apple. And it was my kids that drove me to the Apple device because I needed to track their screen time and <laughs> you know give them permission to look at certain apps and so forth. So my tech stack is heavily Google um, for work. Um, and I'm willing to wait for things that Google creates. Now, mind you, I'm very careful with who I authenticate with. So, you know, this is, goes back to middleware, data, all this stuff we're talking about and privacy and, and security. There's a lot of tools where it's like, would like to, I was on Delta Airlines and they wanted to add my, my itinerary on my calendar. And to do that, it said, Delta would like to add, delete, remove, update your all of your calendars. I'm like, uh, no, I think I'm good. I just need a calendar entry, an ICS file. So I'm very careful. I'm willing to wait for integration. I think that's a theme I, I would like dealers to have too, is like, hey, I'm willing to wait until it's integrated. And a lot of, I, I am cross-platform. Um, so Apple stuff, when I'm mobile, that means phone, laptop, tablet, AirPods, Apple Watch. Uh, Windows, when I'm stationary, that this this machine I'm on, because I do play Fortnite with my my kids and stuff. <laughs> and then Android for like cool, exploring what's coming. And you know, if you're using Google, you kind of have to have an Android phone to see what is coming for the next features on the Apple device, because they always deploy on the Android first. So that's kind of the 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 background of my stack. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh man, that, that that's a good one. I don't I don't think anyone's ever gotten into sharing all of that. And that makes you a very interesting entrepreneur tool, <laughs> especially as it goes along with what you're doing with integrations. I, and I'm afraid to ask, what do you like better, Mac or PC? Um, I do like um the I, I definitely skewed towards Apple, but I keep it honest, meaning I use OneDrive on my Apple not iCloud. Um, that way I can use my Windows device and have files there. I don't, I love Apple passwords. Their new family sharing is a new feature that's kind of like a one password, last password, but it's it's clunky, it's early. So we still use one password. And so it's very interesting. I, I use core things and then I layer on highly secure, uh, highly precise third-party systems that I can trust, that I can authenticate and, and feel comfortable about. Uh, about. So I, I definitely skew Apple, but I integrate the heck out of it. Like <laughs> as an example, my photos go to both Google Photos and Apple iCloud because you got to love Google's AI. I mean, it <laughs> makes you albums and, and finds people and you could actually search playground 2016 and you get that with Siri or Apple, you get nothing. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure you have a photo of a playground. So again, <laughs> that's how I keep it honest, but I do love the core uh, Apple capability and how seamless it is. Nice. So your kids I have a lot of opinions, I guess, now that you're asking. Me <laughs> but I, I appreciate it. 
You can tell you're a true integrator. So there you go. <laughs> Thank you guys. Absolutely. So uh, Atul, if listeners or viewers want to reach you after the show, how could they do so? Yeah. So the best thing is to find us on LinkedIn, whether it's Orby's company page um, or, or myself, uh, look for Atul Patel. Um, and our website has tremendous amounts of information. So that's another place to go. Certainly, if you've watched this podcast and do reach out to us, let us know, because knowing who you work with, if you work with BDEX, that's an important piece because we like to lead our relationships in with who they have chosen as their core systems. And that's kind of what we live by is integration first. So uh, that's how you find us and, and make sure you reference uh, BDEX in that, in that reach out. Uh, awesome. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for that. And audience members, learn more about Powered by BDEX capabilities. And you can do this. I'm going to throw a QR code up on our screen real quick before we jump off here. But if you are watching on video, you can use the QR code. Otherwise, you know, you can go on our website. If you're hearing this on podcast, just go to BDEX.com. And, you know, you can talk to an expert to learn more about how to improve your data strategy. But the Powered by BDEX capabilities will enable you to leverage the BDEX identity graph and all the features of our OmniIQ product and even the AI-powered audience creation capabilities. It's all there. So go ahead and reach out to us. We would love to learn more about you. We'd love to learn more about what you liked about this show. And also, if there's anyone you think would make a good guest, definitely let us know. You can reach us by emailing us at info at bdex.com and leave your qualitative data with us so we can make this better for you. And thanks again so much, Atul, for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I had a quick question. Is that QR code an identity res resolution QR code? Probably. Probably. No, well, <laughs> well, when when you when you click through it and go to our website, um, with any luck, we'll we'll be able to identify it. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> I'll test um, it out. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Atul. It was great having you on the show. I really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks. Bye. Bye.